thank you, Lord, for sending Emmanuel, God with us, and uh, through his sacrifice for our sins, we might live. We ask you, Father, now to bless your word to us as we think about uh, the four things set forth here in this passage by John. We ask you, Lord, to bless it to our hearts for Christ's sake, for it's in his name we pray. So in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten Son of the world, that we might live. There are four things to meditate on here in these uh, two verses. The first is that God chose to manifest his love for you. That's the first thing. Back before he laid the foundations of the world, God determined that he would set his love upon you who believe. And then by his covenant with his son, bolted as it were, his glory and honor as God to his promise to redeem you that he made with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He attached his glory to keeping that promise that he made with the son for your sake. Had he not done that, it's important for you and I to remember that the fall of mankind into sin would not have diminished the glory of God one iota. As Adam and Eve carried the race downward with them into a just and holy judgment at the hand of God, he would still have been surrounded by his holy angels, chanting together, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. Neither is this the only manifestation of his love. The whole creation of man and the universe, the, the blessings of everyday providence from his hand, they all communicate to us the love of God. But in this manner, he communicates his love for you the individual sinner in need of saving grace. Yet had he not done this remarkable thing, your God would have been no less worthy of the love and adoration of angels, and he would be no less worthy of every knee bowing before him as the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. He would still be everything he ever was, ever worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for he created all things, and by it and by his will they exist and they were created. None of that would have changed if he had not entered into this covenant. If there had been no covenant of grace, only the old covenant of the law, and you and I had fallen hopelessly under his mandate, it would not have impacted the glory of God at all. Angels still could have appeared anywhere in heaven or earth and still said, still cried, glory to God in the highest. There would be no peace on earth. But God's glory would still fill heaven and earth nonetheless. But the great good news is this, that God does have a mysterious and a wonderful affection for you. 
And as I said earlier, he determined to commit a portion of his glory to keep in covenant with his son on your behalf. And it's important to meditate on this as we reflect on the familiar story of the angel's appearance to the shepherds. I read a moment ago, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel of the multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This event, this keeping covenant with the Son on your behalf, warrants a declaration from the angels, because God was manifesting the love he had for you by keeping that covenant which he made with the Savior, sending him into this world, to die for you. It redounds to his glory because he chose and he did so because he loves you. And he chose to make an issue out of keeping that promise to him for you and me. And so it becomes a part of his glory because he chose to do that because he loves you. The second thing to meditate on is that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. Jesus is the Son of his love. The love that exists between the Father and the Son is a divine mystery that you and I will never fully grasp, I suppose. But it was beautifully described by Jesus himself. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, in the beginning of verse 24, there Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So you have this wonderful love between the Father and the Son. It's, it's a mysterious thing. It's, it's deep. It's, it, it's uh, um, beyond our, the, the grasp of our finite minds to be able to understand the full character of this love between the Father and the Son. But here's the wonder, beloved. You were brought into that loving relationship by the grace of God. In the covenant of grace, undertaken out of love for you, the love of the Son for the Father and the Father for the Son now involves the Son offering Himself according to the will of the Father as a sacrifice for your sins. When daughters show up with a young man that they announce they intend to marry, and I'm speaking as a father with daughters, it's a 
much the same, I think, with mothers and sons. When they show up with this fellow that they intend to marry, it's expected that the father's going to love this character, I mean, this boy, because he loves his daughter. And in some instances, that's not just expected, sometimes it has to be said. Daddy, the daughter says, if you love me, you'll love Gomer, because I love him, and Gomer loves him. And you just have to say, yes, okay, I love him too, because I love you. There's an interconnecting love that usually ties everyone together. But it's a serious thing for a daughter or a son to put it on that foot, to come to the father and say, Dad, you've got to do this because you love me. Father God loves his son, and he loves you. And he chose to enter into a covenant with God the Son, which required the Son, out of love to the Father, out of love to God the Father, to love you and to offer himself at Calvary for your sin. As Jesus, who says that? It's in John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. He says there, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. My Father loves me because I am willing to offer myself as a sacrifice for you. And he's tied there, the relationship of his love, together with his love for you and me. No one takes it from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down for myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. But there's one more aspect of the second point of meditation that it's helpful, helpful to reflect on. Because God so loved the world that he sent him into this world. So loved you that he sent his son into this world. Just reflect for a moment this morning on all the things that are disappointing you about this world right now. All the things that are disappointing you about it. If you're younger, you may still be seeing the world as being filled with opportunities and wonderful things of all sorts. And in a sense, that's absolutely true. But the scripture is very careful to tell you, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. But if we take into account, especially those events of the last few years, as we've seen morality, Dictated in our society by women, by human women. What's right or wrong is now going to be decided on how we feel from day to day. When we see political correctness becoming the standard by which thoughts and words and actions are weighed. When we see social disorder scarring our cities. When we see festering political tensions rising to the surface 
And we see this present virus that has changed the way we live and the way we work, crippling our economy and further dividing us. And we add that to the normal day-to-day -day trials and difficulties of life in this world. It becomes a very disappointing place. Just pause and reflect for a moment how much more so this world must have been to the Son of God. Who came down from the glory of heaven into this world out of love to you to die for you. If you're offended by the morality you see in our decadent society, imagine what it was like for the Lord Jesus. If you find the lies and the looseness with which men and women treat the truth abhorrent, imagine what it was like for the Savior. If you find illness and death loathsome and tragic, imagine what it was like for the Son of God who, who knew that that death had come into the world because of the rebellion of man against him as God. And I can easily go on with that issue. But let me just say that because of God's love for you, he sent his son here into the sin-filled and disappointing world, a world far more heinous and disappointing to him than it could ever be to you and me. That his love for you might be plainly evident. That's why he did So that it might be plainly evident to you. And then thirdly, the third matter for reflection is the design of this loving act. Why did he do this? So that you might live. That's why. So that you might live. The point of his mission into this world was out of love to bring to you and me life. That you might live through him. Because of Adam's sin, you were born into the world spiritually blind and dead. Solomon, in his wisdom, describes the life of the man or woman who lives without God in the world. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 5.15. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this, is, and this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Job says in Job 14, verse 1, Man who is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. This is how we come to the world. But thankfully, the love of God has followed us here and fixed itself upon us. And therefore, as Paul wrote to the Romans, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin, therefore, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. You sit here today in a world full of darkness and death, blessed with light and life, and all because of the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. 
because he sent his son to give you life. Your Christ, if indeed your faith is in him today. John puts it this way in the nativity account of the gospel that he gives in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. With that light comes understanding. Understanding as to who God is just and, and holy, the creator, the sustainer, and the only savior. Who you are, lost and dying sinners. What God has done by sending his only begotten son to the world. And that that world is what it is, not what men imagine it to be. In Christ, the world fills with light and you're enabled to see it for what it really is. Not God, but God's creation. You see, you're yourself, not a God, but a sinner in need of salvation. You see Christ, not a good man trying to set a good example, but the very Son of God, sent by and in love to die for you that you might have life. You see, beyond the surface, and you know the political, uh, petty political squabbles of human powers on earth, are only a reflection of the greater things that put in the world. That God is building for himself right now, this morning, a great kingdom, a great church. Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and her the whole building, being fed together, grows into a holy temple to the Lord, and whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You, beloved, because you have life and life in Jesus Christ, you know the upheavals and the trembling of the earth and its nations is all under the power of God's hand, serving his purpose towards his great end. It's not just building a world in this world in which everybody will be happy together. It is building a kingdom, a church, on the blood of Jesus Christ for the glory of the everlasting God. It was that way when Jesus first came to the world to redeem us, and it will be that way again when he comes to gather us to himself. Joel said, And I will show wonders in heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And then in Joel chapter 3, verse 16, he says, The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the chosen of Israel. You know that the prince of the power of the air is opposing all righteousness and going about deceiving and devouring whatever and whoever he can. And all that gives to you a, a world biblical view 
that clarifies so much of the seeming darkness that's around him. But his love has provided life, not just light. New life, now and forever. It's not a blessing, is it not a blessing, to be alive this morning, that is, alive in Jesus Christ. Not like Job put it, coming forth like a flower, flower and then immediately fading away, fleeing like a shadow, but rather alive in Christ, knowing that all things are working together for your good, knowing that in Christ all things are yours, knowing that the kingdom of this world, all the kingdoms of this world, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and that he shall reign forever and ever. If you need encouragement this season, get a concordance and look at all the verses that contain the word all contain the words all things in the New Testament. It will warm your heart. And here's just a few to demonstrate what it means to live in Christ. Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Romans 11.36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3.21, therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ and Christ is God's. That's what it's like to be alive in Jesus Christ. To have all things yours. Whoever administers the word, they're yours. Whatever blessings God brings to his church, they're yours. Because you're alive in Christ. Whatever hopes lie ahead for eternity, they're yours. Because you're Christ and Christ is yours. This is just a little sample. But you know that ultimately, this life that you have found, because God loved you and sent his son to die for you is the gift of everlasting life. The Jesus who was born in this world in Bethlehem says this in John 5.24 Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death John chapter 6 verse 40 he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Your life, beloved of the Lord, is one lived out in the love of the Lord himself. Robert Candace put it this way, beautifully saying, but see to what fullness of warm, gushing life your life has now attained. And how it has been passing through an atmosphere of love and has thus got to be impressed with a certain teeming warmth and quickening power. This is the life Christ in love came to Well, we are the witnesses of the love of God 
express purpose of being messengers of it to the world. It was John's calling, it's yours and mine. John says here, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Beloved, isn't that exactly what we who believe are doing today? Testifying that God has sent his Son into the world to save sinners. Isn't that what we'll be doing all week, bearing testimony to what we have seen and what we know? That God the Father, out of love, sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It's interesting, John and others recorded for us their relationship with Jesus. And the fact that it's clearly intended to be the, the promise of God for salvation. John's really saying here, we witnessed these things. We were there. We lived with Christ. We saw it. And then he recorded it for us. But I hope every one of you who are in Christ this morning realize you're beyond just reading about it as somebody else's experience. But you know it's your experience. You know these things. You've seen them. Your life has been changed. You are new in Christ Jesus. You are alive now. You're a new creature in Christ. And it's nothing like it was before that was true. It's confirmed by your experience. They had experience as well as we, that is John. But not in the same degree. We have theirs in the record and we have our own in our personal history, says Matthew Henry. We found the Savior to be all that they have declared him to be. And we can bear witness like the people of Samaria did in speaking to the woman at the well. You know what they did? She came and told them about Jesus. And she said, he told me everything about him. And they heard that, and then they wanted to hear about Jesus more. And so they went and talked to Jesus and had him stay with him. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, but we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We know what John says, but now we ourselves have and we know that he is indeed Christ. We believe that what Luke and John and others have told us is true. It goes beyond that for every true Christian. We echo John's words. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten Son to the world that we might live through him. For we ourselves have heard it. We know that it is indeed the Christ. The Savior of the world that we worship tonight. Father, we bear witness to these things as those who have come to Christ. Lord, there may be some watching, there may be some even among us who have not come to Christ in that way. And Lord, we would set our testimony beside the testimony of the angels, beside the testimony of the prophets and apostles, and say, Lord, to them, we know 
that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. We have known the love of God in our hearts. We know new life through Jesus Christ. And Lord, call on them to look to this Redeemer. To not look at Christmas as an occasion to have some warm-hearted feelings and, and to be closer drawn to family. But Lord, to go beyond that and know what it is to live in Christ. To know Him as Redeemer and Savior. And have a warmth that doesn't pass for the season. But which grows stronger and stronger every day. Until that day when we know we will be in our Savior's presence forever. Father, let them seek it. Let them find it by your grace. And may all who have rejoice to be alive in Jesus Christ today because of this wonderful manifestation of his love. Please, Father, bless us. For it's in Christ's name we seek these things. We glorify your name this morning. In Christ's name.